Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. This week I'm addressing a very hot topic that's on everyone's lips not only the technology sector, but just about everywhere. And it's called cryptocurrencies. Everyone's heard of Bitcoin, and everyone's heard from all those people who reckon they made heaps of money out of it. But there's a lot more out there. There's actually thousands of them. So I'm joined by Kane Warwick, the founder and CEO of an Australian cryptocurrency called Haven. Haven is currently selling tokens and will have an official platform launch or an ICO in March this year. I'm going to talk to Kane to explain what cryptocurrencies are and how they work. I'm looking for a simple explanation. Then I'm going to ask him why he has decided to create a new one and why this is any different to the rest of them. So let's get into it. Kane Warwick, welcome to The Mentor. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Cryptocurrencies. Most people can't spell it. Heaps of people won't even <laughs> be able to pronounce it um, if they do see it spelt. Why is it called cryptocurrencies and what the hell is it? So uh, cryptocurrency is, I guess, a, a combination of cryptography. Um, and obviously What's currency, that? money. So cryptography is uh, basically securing information. Um, so we use, uh, we use cryptography to ensure that the information we pass between two people is secure. Right, so and why is that important? It's important uh, if you're communicating over the internet, for example. So you know, if you send an email to someone, you want to make sure that that is encrypted. Uh, using cryptography so that someone can't read it, uh, you know, in in the middle. I want to be able to communicate with you and and know that it's secure, that that information can't be read by anyone else. Because I'm transferring (coughs) value between me and somebody else. Yeah, in the case of, you know, an email, that's information. Um, You know, that's a a private communication between uh, two people. It may be, uh, you know, your bank details between your banking website and, you know, your computer. You want that information to be secured. Okay, so then why do they call it cryptocurrency? It's a similar situation, right? You want uh, effectively the the currency secured by cryptography. Um, so the way it works is you have a, a public address where people can uh, effectively send you money or you can send money from. And then there's a private address, which is kind of like the password, the, the sort of security on the account. Um, so provided your uh, private address is secure, you can basically share that public uh, address like you could, you know, a bank account, um, you know, BSB, etc., um, and know that the uh, the information is secure, and you can transact with anyone. Okay, I, so I don't think I, I don't think people listening will still get that. So, sure, sure. Right, let me just let's take me take me through it then. Yeah. Let's say, um, your 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 cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. which is sort of like it's like Bitcoin. Yours is like called Bitcoin. Haven. Okay. Yeah. So let's say somebody wants to go and uh, purchase these. So I can go and purchase American dollars. I can go along mm-hmm. to a, a bank and purchase American dollars or a, 
exchange, uh, a currency exchange place, one of those ones you see little windows open all around the joint at the airports, etc. I can take my dollars, hard-earned dollars that are in my pocket or my credit card where I store credit and or savings, and I can go along and I can buy American dollars, I can buy their currency, mm-hmm. and um, I've got their currency, it can, might be in my hand or some, you can put it act, actually into an electronic version, into a bank account. That I'd have to open up a US bank account, but I can go and buy that, and then I can, when I get to America, I can transact. Okay, so that's that's one form of buying another currency. How do I? How does a punter go and buy Haven or any other cryptocurrency? So that's that's an interesting question. So the the other business that I run uh, is called BlueShift, and we enable people to buy cryptocurrency. So we have a network of twelve hundred locations around Australia, and you can go on to one of the websites of our partners, so CoinSpot or CoinJarBitcoin.com.au, and you can make a, a request to purchase, like you do with the the currency window at the airport, and you say, "I'd like to buy one Bitcoin." So the currency the currency window though is 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 not at the airport; it's online. Are there exactly. physical ones? Because there are physical. There ones. are physical ones. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, there's Bitcoin ATMs. You can meet people in person, but it is still a digital currency. So yeah. eventually, you need to transfer. Uh, you know, the value digitally. You can't hold it physically in your hand. Yeah. Um, so when you when you request to purchase Bitcoin through one of the services that that we work with, you go into one of our stores and you hand over physical cash, and the Bitcoin is transferred into your Bitcoin wallet or the Haven. Or Haven, yeah. or uh, Ethereum, or any, any one of the any, other crypto. There's any, thousands of them. Isn't there's it? thousands. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, so, so if you're if someone's listening and they've got no idea what we're talking about, mm-hmm. basically, if you got a pocket full of cash, is there any limit the amount you can buy? Uh, for our services, it's typically limited to about twenty five hundred dollars a day. Right, but there's no legal limit. There's on no it. legal limit. So, no. you, if you've got a hundred thousand dollars cash because your grandma's been saving up for the last fifty years. And uh, she doesn't like banks, and she likes to keep it under a bed. Mm-hmm. And you got a hundred grand cash in your pocket, um, which I guess what drug dealers do, and all these other um, shifty buggers out there. Um, you take that hundred grand along, and uh, to where? Uh, to if it was a hundred grand, you'd probably take it to an OTC broker, so an over the counter, uh, an over the counter exchange. Where's um, that? So there's a there's a few of them around. There's there's a number in Sydney, and you basically request to purchase a hundred grand. They'll give you a spot rate for Bitcoin. They'll say, okay, the the exchange rate between AUD and Bitcoin today is you know twenty thousand dollars, let's say, and you will get five Bitcoin for your hundred thousand dollars. Right, and and you don't physically get it; you get a like a credit a credit note or something. Exactly, yeah, it goes onto your Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, and you have to set up your Bitcoin wallet first. You do, yes. Yeah. So they'll say to you one of these OTCs or what they call over the counter, which is just basically a bloke standing behind a counter, but not really. <laughs> exactly. But, it, but it's but that's that's sort of what it was because old school. That's what it was. It was a person standing behind a counter out at the airport. Selling you US dollars now. What you got a you got a trader or a person who stands not behind a counter, but it's effectively the same thing in electronic sense. Um, and uh, he he or she is there to trade you whatever currency you want. That's right, cryptocurrency or any currency, probably for that matter. They probably would, but they they're just trading you a current currency, a, a bitcoin, a cryptocurrency, and they'll give you a rate. They'll say just like when you buy US dollars, they'll say listen, the exchange rate on this cryptocurrency, this particular one called Bitcoin, is, as you say, today is $20,000 for the Aussie dollar. Yep, that's right. And you give them 100,000 Aussie dollars, you hand your cash over, and the dude gives you five, five gives you a credit note for five, which he will transfer into your Bitcoin account, which you open up first. Correct. When you open up your Bitcoin account, do you have to go through all the... uh, 
Does someone have to go through all the, um, you know, like uh, identification stuff? You actually don't. Uh, so one of the interesting things about Bitcoin is that it's decentralized and permissionless. So if you want to open a Bitcoin wallet, you literally set that up uh, online. You get a, a seed, which is a, a, a set of uh, words basically that protect the account uh, and you get your private key. And as long as you've got that private key secured, no one can uh, access your account. Explain what a private key is. So your private key is uh, essentially the, the cryptographic uh, lock, if you will, that, that secures your wallet. It's not a physical key. Though, it's not it? a physical key. It's a, it's a string. Um, it's a you know, long set of characters, uh, you know, numbers and letters uh, that effectively are what is required for a transaction to be made with your wallet. Right. So... I've got my um, I've got my security key, mm-hmm. um, which I've got to keep stored somewhere. Got to keep um, it safe. Yep. Which people have been losing because they've been throwing at their their computers and they've got exactly it stored right. on their computer. Yep. Um, and then they're stuffed. Yep. Um, and then you have got these guys called. Well, we'll come back to that miners. Um, but um, and then I've got my currency. So now I've got my cryptocurrency. I've got five bitcoins in my wallet, mm-hmm. and I want to go and buy. Um, something who who you who 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 will buy this from who will trade with me in this currency so this is can one, I buy a car uh, you you can actually uh there's a, a few uh high end car dealerships that take bitcoin um but this is one of the problems that we're actually addressing with haven is the fact that merchant adoption is hindered because bitcoin is very volatile so if you were to go in and, and say, I'm going to go and buy, uh, you know, a $50,000 car with Bitcoin. Um, so you take your two and a half Bitcoin now and, and you go to buy that car. Can you do it in halves? Uh, you can, yeah. They're actually divisible up to um, uh, a number of decimal places. Right. So, so, you know, you can cut it very thinly. Uh, <clears throat> but effectively, you, you would go in and say, I'm going to purchase this car, right? Uh, the problem is that because Bitcoin can fluctuate, even over the last few weeks, it's gone uh, down about... 50% from where it was um, and you know it, it's a very volatile currency if you purchase that car for $50,000 the dealership the next day may only have $30,000 worth of Bitcoin because the price has gone down and mm. this is one of the issues in adoption because the merchant ha- is taking a lot of risk accepting Bitcoin for that car um, but conversely you may have gone and spent the Bitcoin and then the price went up and now if you just waited one more day you could have got the car a lot more cheaply mm. uh, and so people are, are very uh, worried about spending Bitcoin for everyday purchases yep got so, it so, so what are you doing so what we're doing is creating something that doesn't fluctuate that doesn't have that level of volatility and how do you do that uh, the way that we do it is we basically have a, a payment network so think uh, PayPal uh, and that payment network uses uh, the fees that it generates to uh, stabilize the currency. So you can explain that to me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so imagine, you know, when PayPal, uh, when people transact with PayPal, mm-hmm. um, fees are collected and they go to PayPal, the company and shareholders ultimately get that value. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're doing is removing PayPal, the company and replacing it with a distributed collateral pool. So all of the fees that people transact in go to that pool and that pool is locked up so that the people who are transacting feel confident in the same way that they feel confident that PayPal can administer the system, that there's enough value uh, locked up to uh, support the transactions that they're doing. And that ultimately uh, is what gives people confidence that the, the stable coin, which is uh, the, the kind of technical term, I guess, for what we're, we're building, uh, will maintain parity with the US dollar. With US dollar, okay. Yep. So- but one of the attractions of Bitcoin and all the various cryptocurrencies is the fact that it does vo- it is volatile. Absolutely. Which is one of the reasons why people buy it. One hundred percent. 
So, so if, what's you, the, if you take that if you take that attraction away from it, then why do people want it? Other than not being able to be traced. Yeah. So, so that's a good question. So the way that our system works, it actually has two uh, tokens. One token is stable. The other one is a, you know a volatile token. It moves up and down. The the value of that token, though, unlike Bitcoin, where uh, it's purely market driven, the value of our, our second token, the the havens, comes from the fees that are generated. So if you're participating in the system and you lock up the havens that you you're holding, as the network grows and transaction fees increase, the value of that collateral token you're holding goes up. So there's still the ability to get price appreciation uh, without uh, you know needing to resort to a purely volatile currency in in Bitcoin or Ethereum or one of the others. So your objective is to stabilize the currency so that vendors will accept it. Correct. Which means that it become then the whole thing becomes more acceptable from the point of view of buyers. Buyers will be finding more acceptable because Absolutely. more vendors are accepted, therefore it's more tradable. Um, yeah, that, that sort of makes sense to me. Um, um, it's a bit like hedge. You just it's like a hedging contract. I mean, you're hedging your currency. I mean, like if I go buy, if I go get U.S. dollars, um, because I'm I want to trade in U.S. dollars. I want to buy you know carpets or something. I would have and bring it back to Australia. Um, um, I have I run the same risk, but it's nowhere near as volatile. That's the issue. Correct. Um, yep. But even most businesses, most businesses today will actually go and hedge if they're doing this stuff all the time. They'll actually hedge their currency exposure anyway you're just Absolutely. saying that in cryptocurrency the exposure to the volatility is so great that most people don't really like it in terms of it's just too risky. trading yeah it's too risky to make it a mainstream currency Absolutely. So, so to speak yeah. um where i mean like, there's thousands of these things i mean you can't have it just to me it doesn't make sense to have thousands of them i mean where do you think they're all going to end up who's going to emerge it's a good question. I mean, there's there's a number of use cases. Obviously, uh, you know, each new token uh, is is in theory solving a different problem. Um, so there's tokens for solving, uh, you know, identity, right? So it's storing identity on the blockchain, so we don't have large hacks like we've seen with you know Experian and and people like that. Um, there are tokens for enabling uh, decentralized insurance. So instead of having a, an insurance company, you have a, a decentralized system where you can buy flight insurance. So for example, right now, we're about to jump on a flight to San Francisco. We could go on and buy insurance from uh, effectively a, a, a software program that's on the blockchain. Uh, and if our flight is delayed or, or is canceled, then we would get paid out. That insurance contract would be paid out to us. And there's actually no company involved. It's just a, a piece of software. You pay a premium. You pay a premium. In, and in, it's locked up, and then who are you paying it? But who who you who, pay it to the software? Yeah, but someone owns the software. In, in this case, no, it's a it is it's a decentralized system. So the the software is just running on the blockchain, uh, and but someone built it. Someone built it, yeah, but they yeah. released it as a as sort of an open source project, right? So it was it was released on the blockchain, and now it's basically administered by these people, but it's not uh, it's not an insurance company per okay. se, right? So the idea is that it's more efficient because the the you know. Uh, the premiums are paid back to, to people 100% effectively who are participating in the network. You mean the premiums are paid back in terms of insurance claims Correct, as yeah. opposed to... Going to marketing and all yeah, that yeah, sort of stuff. Uh, okay, all right. Okay, well, that's uh, I, I get that. But th these are sort of fairly esoteric and... Uh, they are. Extremely synthetic um, and um, sometimes s specific. Yes. 
so when you see when people say there's thousands of these currencies cryptocurrencies around um what you're saying is they're they're uh uh designed to fix a certain problem or deal with a certain issue or manage a certain type of transaction typically yes yeah so well, let's say just in a broad sense a broader sense like just normal cryptocurrencies which are used by normal punters that do normal stuff how many of those would there be is there still thousands of them uh no there's there's not that many uh there's probably 10 uh you know blue chip cryptocurrencies mm. if you will um you know, like so bitcoin style bitcoin style ethereum. litecoin ethereum dash uh and and they have i guess different approaches to uh the networks that they create um you know how consensus is managed how people uh, agree on how transactions occur you mentioned mining they've got different structures for miners and fee rewards and things like that uh but ultimately they're all volatile and yep. so, you know, there's really only us and a couple of other projects that are attempting to tackle this issue of volatility to create something that people will be confident in spending and transacting in. Yeah, and I think the volatility thing that scares me um, the most, um, only because I don't see any point in... Well, take me through this. Why take out, take out of it that I might be a speculator? In other words, assume I am not a speculator. Mm -hmm. Why would I buy... Why would I engage in cryptocurrency as a just as a consumer as a consumer there's not that much reason to to hold bitcoin at if the it's moment not, at the moment yeah uh, i mean if there's there's some things you can do uh so we typically will pay invoices for conferences and things like that in bitcoin and it's far easier and faster than you know doing a wire transfer um, you know, someone just sends you an invoice, it's got an address on there, you send the Bitcoin, transaction's done in 10 seconds. So right. for us, uh, you know, because we're transacting all over the world, uh, it's very easy, but still there is friction there because you've got that volatility. So, you know, we paid an invoice uh, maybe three months ago, and then a few weeks later, the price of uh, Ethereum, which we paid it in, went up about 50%. So, you know, ultimately we paid, paid a lot double. more, you paid double, right, For than we would have if we had just waited. So there's, you know, there's still issues with that, but, uh, but if you want to transfer value, you to someone anywhere in the world very quickly bitcoin is a really good way of doing it right okay all right so that's assuming the other people on the other side they'll we'll accept a, it they've got a wallet yeah yeah, yeah. exactly so uh but so there's sort of no <clears throat> excuse me no compelling reason right now for a consumer to do it because there's a hundred other currencies or thousands of other currencies around not not electronic currencies just well, they are electronic currencies. The other thing that that's crazy too, because the other, you know, most transactions are electronic now anyway. Absolutely. Um, yep. they're just they're just governed. Correct. Yeah. Um, they're just um, you know, part of the system. Absolutely. So yeah, they're know, within the financial system. Yeah. yeah. It's, yep. But it's electronic. I mean, when you transfer, if I transfer money to China today, I'm not going to mm -hmm. transfer cash like I did. You would have 25 years or 30 years ago. Of course. Yeah. Even then, you probably didn't do it. But now it's electronic transfers, digital. That's right, but if you it's, think but about, it's not dispersed. It's, it's, it's no, not it's distributed. Not. No, it's not distributed, and and it's pretty high friction. So you know, to transfer, uh, you know, to do a wire transfer to China, a you've got to get all the you know the banking information right, etc. It's not just a single address you can send it to. Um, you know, it'll probably take two or three days potentially. Yeah. Well, maybe and, we should just explain that for a moment, sure. Because I think what happens, I think it's important for you to understand what you mean by friction. So, like, if I'm going to tr tr transfer money, let, let's 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 call it euros and some, let's not leave China out for a second mm -hmm. it's a bit more complicated yep. let's say we're going to turn and transfer some money to your friend in France and yep. you're going to trans, transfer euros 
um, what people don't realize is why there's frictions. The first thing you've got to do is you've got to buy the euro dollars and then send the euro dollars over to their euro account from Australia. So the Australian bank only banks Australian dollars, whereas Europe, they've got to find their counterpart, a European bank, who trades in European dollars. Um, and all Australian banks have counterparty banks. Um, and then let's say the guy that you're sending the money to in France doesn't bank with the counterparty bank that your Australian bank deals with, then uh, the, the transaction will go like this. Um, let's say I'm with ANZ. Um, I, I buy, I get my ANZ to transfer my 100 Australian dollars into something euro, 50 euro. And then ANZ will find its counterparty, which might be Societe Generale in uh, Paris. Um, they transfer it to their associate bank in Paris, which is Societe Generale, 50 euros. And then, uh, then let's say the your friend of the friend of yours, mine, which I'm transferring the money to, is not with Society General. Let's call, let's say he's with some other French bank. I don't know another French bank, but another French bank. Um, then Society General has to transfer it to that account. And there's a lot of transactions in there. Absolutely, and it takes time. Yep. And that's the friction you're talking about. Correct. And there's fees all the way. Yep. And there's and there's delay. So you know the value of your money today may not be the value of your. Mo- won't be that volatile, but may not be the value of your money in five or six days' time. And, and sometimes yeah. it gets lost in the system. Correct. It just and gets stuck. It does get stuck. And, and also, you know, if you go to, uh, you know, for example, we bank with NAB uh, and look at what the, the rate that they'll give you for euros, uh, it's not even close to what the, the sort of spot rate is in the market, right? There's a big spread. Yeah, yeah. There's a com uh, out of it. There's commissions. So that's it, might be, it might be 5%, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you're sending $10,000, that's a, you know, a meaningful amount of money. Totally. Um, and you need to get all of the, the various, uh, you know, you need the address of where the person is, et cetera. So we paid an invoice uh, just recently about two weeks ago. It was $1,500 to a, a US um, entity and it got bounced back because one of the things that we had to put in there was wrong and the you know, zip code was wrong or something like that. So it got bounced back to us, had to send it again. Uh, you know, you just don't have to deal with that sort of thing when you're dealing with crypto. You just have the address, you get the address right, it appears within sort of 10, 15 minutes and you're done. Do cryptocurrencies trade between themselves? So does they Ethereum do. sell, uh, transfer to Bitcoin, transfers Absolutely, to- yeah. So oh. so we've got exchanges, um, you know, there's exchanges in Australia as well as overseas where uh, like a Forex trading yep. desk, you can trade Ethereum into Bitcoin and vice versa. Right. Okay, so it, I mean, it's pretty, uh, <laughs> I mean, this is a, a complex topic. Um, but 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 it's not that complex if you just think of it just like another currency. Agreed. Take the word crypto out of it. Yep. Just consider it's like another country. Yes. And you're trading with another country in their currency. Um, because if I said to you that I want you to trade with me in Fijian dollars, well, not many people trade in Fijian dollars or you know Cook Island dollars or whatever it is. I don't know what they have, but let's say they got their own currency. Um, you'd have to go through this process anyway. It's the same as you are if you're trading in Bitcoin. Exactly right. It's no, it's no different. There's no difference. Um, so and Yeah, okay. So I, I, I just, it's hard to get your head around a little bit, um, and I'm, I'm sure, because I, I think people are fascinated by it, but they just don't understand it. And, and it's all, because there's all this jargon involved, like cryptocurrencies and distributed ledgers. And to a person using, to a consumer, thinking about transacting as opposed to punting, um, the distributed ledger is sort of, sort of irrelevant Agreed. in terms of volatility. Absolutely. So well, I, I think we should go to the break. I want to come back and talk about what they call blockchain, the, the distribution of the data um, after the break, because I think that's the sort of second part of cryptocurrency that, to be honest with you, to me is the more interesting part. 
sure. um, and also a very relevant part in terms of um, IT um, initiatives and IT stuff going forward for just generally in, in terms of data going forward for the future. So we'll just go to the break and we'll come back to that because everyone hears cryptocurrency and they hear about blockchain. I don't think anyone has any idea what the two, the two are. They think one, maybe they're interchangeable, but we'll come back and talk about that if you don't mind. Absolutely. Thanks. Sounds great. I'm here talking to Kane Warwick, and Kane is the proprietor behind his own cryptocurrency called Haven. And Haven is a new currency, which is going to be launched very soon, in March, I believe. And it's different to all the other cryptocurrencies, or at least the ones we're more familiar with, in that it attempts to smooth out the volatility in relation to holding that particular cryptocurrency in your cryptocurrency wallet. So that the objective here is that it will um, be more attractive to people selling goods and services to accept the cryptocurrency, this particular one. And as well as that, therefore, if there's more people who will accept the cryptocurrency in transactions, therefore more people will um, load up a wallet, a digital wallet with this particular currency. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, Thank you. That's a, okay, got very it. Very good rundown. Good, got it. And and I think that for people listening to this, um, and a lot of them are uninitiated, um, one of the things that we keep hearing around that cryptocurrency stuff is this concept of thing called blockchain. Again, jargon. I mean, the fact that it's called block immediately makes you not, not want to understand it because you think there's just something in the way. Um, and... and and I th- and whoever come up with those words is a, a genius because it's the best piece of marketing. Because the more difficult it is, the more mysterious mysterious it is. The more we talk about it, but the more um, we don't want to un- try and understand it, but we still want to talk about it. Like it's sort of it's quite a weird bit of marketing. But what does blockchain mean? So it's interesting because in the white paper that uh, describes Bitcoin, it actually doesn't mention blockchain. So it's something that was kind of invented after the fact to describe what was happening. Um, but effectively, a blockchain is uh, a, a chain of blocks. And a block is just a, a bunch of transactions that have been uh, broadcast out into the network. And they're all uh, effectively signed by a miner. Now, there's a whole bunch of things to unpack there. But what what's happening with Bitcoin and, and the reason why it's so different to other currencies is because it's a a consensus mechanism. So people agree on which transactions have occurred um, and they agree amongst themselves based on uh, an algorithm that's run by all of the people who are mining. Okay, no one understood a word you said. Yes, I know. (laughs) Okay, so so let's just just break break it down down a little bit. So um, as I understand it, let's say there's 100,000 computers out there in the world. Yep. And let's say we have one transaction between you and I with Bitcoin. Yes. Or Haven. Mm-hmm. And what happens, I think, is that, that the, to do that transaction, there's, there's a, a string of data. Yes. And you break that string of data up into 100,000 parts. Not not exactly. It's essentially what happens is you say, I want to do this transaction. So I control this address 
and I'm who's gonna, I? Who's I? So so you have a wallet, and that wallet address you control. Right. And so you say so I'm going to data send information about that. Information about that. So it's yeah. not a wallet address. There's actually little little pieces of pieces of electronic information yep. which 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 that which make up that electronic wallet. Correct. Yes. And you you basically say I'm going to send from my wallet to Kane's wallet, mm-hmm. and you put that transaction out. You broadcast it out, and all of the miners. So I send a message. You send a message out, out to the, everyone, out all to, the computers, all hundred thousand computers. Okay, yep. And and one of those computers will solve an equation, and that equation, if if it solves it, it allows that computer. Who sets the equation? So it's it's done by the algorithm, the Bitcoin algorithm. Right. Uh, Bitcoin does. Bitcoin does. Yeah. Right. Effectively, the software uh, puts out this this equation or an, yep. an algorithm and says solve it right yep. and so the miners who solve that equation so there's people sitting there there's computers sitting there computers that are just a process so you've got warehouses full of computers right yeah, if you yeah. go to china there's you know millions and millions of computers sitting there in a warehouse that yep. are all just trying to solve this equation yeah, yeah, as fast yeah. as possible so when that equation solved one only one computer solves it right whoever's and first whoever's first and that and lots can, can solve it but the first one to solve the first it. one to solve it is uh gets a reward so right? whoever's got the biggest computing power exactly Exactly. Right. The more power you have, the, the faster you can solve it. Yeah. And so what happens is once that equation is solved, the... Uh, the Sorry, com- can I ask you, just quick, is it a different equation every time? Or is it is. It, it's, uh, this is where kind of the cryptography comes in a little bit. It's, it's basically, um, it, it's essentially factoring a large number, um, you know, trying to, uh, to solve a, a very large number. And, and you have, the only way to do it is by brute force. Um, you can't just run uh, an algorithm on it. You have to actually keep checking different numbers to try and factor this this very large. So you need uh, big computing power. You need big computing power. Um, and so, so essentially what happens is someone solves it and they go, yep, I've got the solution. At that point, they look at the network and all of the transactions that have been broadcast that haven't been included in the last block, the last transaction you know, that, were, that was wrapped up essentially. And they say, okay, I'm going to put all of these transactions into a block and then I'm going to sign it. And when they sign that with their private key, that computer then broadcasts that signed uh, block out into the network, and all the other computers can instantly see, based on the fact that they've solved the uh, the you know the equation, if you will, um, that it's a, a valid block. And so then from there on, all of the other computers start trying to solve the next number, right? So they keep they keep processing, and then that's how the chain of blocks comes about because. As the network uh, sort of grows and solves these equations and, and wraps up the transactions, the blocks keep growing. And so you can look back at these blocks all the way back to the very first one, the Genesis block, right? Yep. Where um, you know Satoshi started mining, solved the first uh, the first block, and issued a block reward. And then from there, there's a, a a chain of blocks, an unbroken chain that goes all the way back. To, Shows you, it gives you the chain of custody, so can, to speak. Exactly. You can see every single Bitcoin address, every <laughs> single transaction that's ever happened. Uh, you know who's moved money between which wallet addresses you can you can literally go back and see every single thing that's every transaction that's ever happened it's all public right um, which is how Bitcoin is able to function because you want to make sure that if you send me that transaction and now it's been locked up in that block you can't send that transaction again you've already spent those Bitcoin and you can't get them back mm. I've now got them mm. so that's that's a critical thing because it doesn't so the chain of custody now is Kane yes it's not me absolutely yeah. and and we don't need to go to a third party to arbitrate that. Yeah, yeah, we can yeah. look at the blockchain yeah. and we know that that transaction has occurred. Everyone knows that that trans- everyone has agreed that that transaction occurred. As opposed to the banking system, 
the banks are basically say we're not interested in the chain of custody what we're interested in is that if you get present me with this transaction the if a bank presents me with this transaction the bank is basically guaranteeing the transaction correct because they've checked that yes. you so it's a it's a it's very transactional it is it's absolutely. not chain of custody it's not that's the difference between the two and 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 that and and what's interesting about that is the reason the banking system introduced that system is because um uh like you know thousands of years ago before there was a banking system um it was they the uh, a transaction was based on a chain of custody it was actually saying there was a promissory note with lots of signatures on it I promised to pay and then someone else would say yes and that was paid and I promised to pay and it, you just actually and all a, a dollar a dollar note is, is a promise is really a promissory note where but instead of me promising you and then someone then you promising someone else and someone else promising someone else under this note which you used to get in return for services in the beginning um, instead of that the bank said we won't worry about that anymore because it was subject to fraud and subject to a whole lot of um, you know stuff that made it unreliable we the bank we the government which control the banking system in order to ensure a secure banking system we will stand by the note if it's issued by us that's right exactly so blockchain has basically solved the problem that banks tried to solve you know however long ago it was um where people were being fraudulent or and or up to mischief in relation to a promissory note. Correct. So yeah. that's all blockchain does. That is exactly. And it. Let's it not just get, secures it. And we don't probably need to get into the technical side of how it does it in a, in a, in a, like a algorithms and that sort of stuff. Because, but basically, that's what blockchain is doing. It's a, a, a solving the problem that banks try to have solved by governments owning the banking system. Correct. Yep. So the governments own the banking system because. And, and and whilst whilst I say that, I mean, you, someone's going to say, "Well, yeah, but NAB's not owned by the government." No, but NAB acts under the auspices of the government, under the banking license. Exactly right. They yep. are licensed by the government. So this country basically is guaranteeing the um, the um, efficacy or the the uh, authenticity of the bank note that NAB issues because NAB's licensed by the Australian government. Exactly right. So, which is why. What's interesting about all this is that um, governments wouldn't like cryptocurrency because it effectively takes away their their autonomy. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. You know the the idea um, in crypto world, people call it fiat money, right? You know this idea that it's money created by governments and it's literally the authority of the government that is what gives the money value. Mm. Um, and cryptocurrency exists outside of that. Yeah, yeah, it exists outside of nation states, outside of governments. Uh, and and the way that it does that is by solving the problem of uh, trust. You don't need to trust the other person that you're transacting with. The blockchain allows you to trust that the transaction is valid without requiring, you know, going to an arbitrator, going to the bank or going to the government and saying, well, you know, tell us who actually transacted, who who spent this money. Um, we need you to arbitrate. We don't want that. It just removes the need for that because we can look at the blockchain and see, well, no, Mark did send that money to Kane and he sent it at this time and, you know, everyone can see it. It's public information. Is it possible to hack into, these, into this and uh, change the data? So Bitcoin now, has existed for uh, nine years and has never been hacked. There was a, an issue early on in the software uh, which was fixed fairly quickly. It wasn't a hack. It was, it was more of a software bug. Um, but subsequent to that, uh, there, it's almost impossible to, to sort of hack into it in, in, I guess, what a traditional sense because it's not a database. 
So, you know, in a, in a normal uh, hacking situation... You mean uh, it's not data kept in one place? It's, it's not, yeah. So, so a database is something that's owned by one company. So NAB has a database. Yeah. And if you could break into NAB's database, you could change, you know, the, the balance in your, the your details, yeah. bank to, you know, $10 billion, right? Yeah. And provided no one noticed that happened, NAB would think you had $10 billion. Yeah. Uh, whereas with the blockchain because there's this chain of custody that goes all the way back in time, the only way to to change that, to, and this is why we call it an immutable ledger, um, would be to, to basically replace the chain. Um, and, you know, it's just not possible to do that. Now, let's just, that's because there's probably no computer big enough or with enough power to do that. Correct, yes. Okay, now let's just say I am a quantum physicist yep. and I worked out how to do quantum computing yep. before everybody else. Yes, and I could do something, you know, a billion times faster than a normal supercomputer. Yep. There's a possibility. Absolutely. Then um, cryptocurrencies could be become yes, stuffed. absolutely, yes, exactly right. So we, we yeah. don't have that at this stage, but we don't. But you know, the Australian of the Year recently was she was a, she's a professor of uh, quantum physics at University of New South Wales was uh, recently awarded um, Australian of the Year because of her developments of, of uh, quantum computing power, and. Uh, and I have done a podcast with the guys from Sydney University, um, uh, who are quantum um, quantum com- computing physicists, who who's did say to me some time ago, it's probably twenty five years away, but they're now sort of saying it's now closer to twenty years away. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a, that was not five years ago. That was like six months ago. <laughs> um, and uh, probably you know on that base every six months in. Four years time will be around two Absolutely. years away. Yeah. So, um, what what is what? Is, I mean, your this is your game. So, what do you guys think about that? How do you manage for that? Yeah, it's a it's a very good question. Um, and in fact, there's this kind of I guess uh, half jokingly, some people say that you know Bitcoin was created by the NSA, the you know the American intelligence organization, uh, as like a, an early warning system for a quantum computing, right? Because Bitcoin now is so valuable. If you had a quantum computer and you were able to solve, uh, you know, for blocks very fast, then it would be very lucrative to do that, right? So it's kind of joking, you know, jokingly said, but it's it is valid. Um, the the ability to solve the equation faster and, and this has already happened where uh, most of the mining power now are specific chips they're called uh, ASICs um, and they're uh, they're a chip that is built just to do this one thing whereas in the early days it was general purpose computers that were yeah. you know solving the the equations but now it's been specialized and you've got these uh, these specific chips that do it um, and so you know the the Bitcoin software could theoretically be updated to be quantum resistant and there are actually some uh, cryptocurrencies that are already incorporating quantum resistant algorithms uh, but it's it's definitely a concern I suppose what if a, because we don't know what the Chinese are doing or the Russians for that matter but mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> they're moving at quite a pace they just don't tell us about it yeah um, you know, we'll talk about it, mm. like you know, um, and they're probably hacking into our, you know, hacking into us. What with all our developments as we speak, because we don't even know, because um, it's a way they could they could rule the whole all the currencies. Correct, easily. Yeah. Yep. If you and, had and, and by the way, other normal currencies as well. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> they're just as vulnerable. Yeah. Um, normal currencies as well. Uh, the the only difference is the confidence I get out of a normal currency is that the government stands by. But if, if, if there's a supercomputer in the world using quantum computing power, the, and there's no government in the world who would be able to stand by because they would lose their credit rating and they would go broke. The country would go broke because the people actually support the government guarantees, the taxpayers. Yep. 
and this quantum, this supercomputer would go in and just take all the taxpayers' money and all the government's money as well. And so any government who wants to stand by their own currency is stuffed. I'm yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And where does artificial intelligence fit into all this? That's a very good question. Uh, you know, the in terms of cryptocurrency, right now, artificial intelligence doesn't have that much of an impact. Um, you know, it's no, but it could, but it could. Um, you know, so let's say someone attached to every transaction, a little mm -hmm. bit of every every message that gets sent out there, somehow, somehow attached a little bit of artificial intelligence that we yep. didn't know about. Yep. And it was out there just collecting everything mm -hmm. and working out who transacts what, where, why, when. Is that yeah? Well, we already have uh, deep learning algorithms, and and there are people out there that are using the blockchain to be able to essentially work out every single transaction that's occurred. Um, so people are using artificial intelligence to analyze right. the blockchain and and find people. Um, you know, because if you've done a transaction ever with me, you can be tracked down. So they basically match up your information from online information. They can track you down and work out who you are and what you've done and who you've transacted. But I'm more worried about Kane if the artificial intelligence actually starts to become a, a like an artificial general intelligence yeah yes yeah, yeah. 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 so uh, yeah I, yeah correct so in other words um it's not so sort of the government looking at all the transactions mm. using artificial intelligence yep. looking at where I'm transacting with sure. you etc but I'm more thinking the artificial intelligence gets a life of its own yeah of which course. is sort of what everyone's talking about the potential of this sort of stuff it, absolutely going yeah. forward yep absolutely where it can well, the artificial intelligence the intelligence itself controls everything Correct. Yeah, Not I actually us. I actually wrote a novel about that. Did you? Um, yeah, it's something that uh, that I find really interesting. It's it's definitely a uh, it's an interesting sort of thought experiment to see what would happen. You know how that would play out if there was a an intelligence that was able to bootstrap itself and get you know if it can modify itself and accelerate. You know we we keeps have, learning about keeps itself. learning about itself and creates better versions of itself. And yeah, you know this, and with supercomputing power, it does it, it just a rate that was ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. and uh, and all of a sudden it, none of us are relevant anymore. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I can sort of see a movie out of it, out of your book. <laughs> I mean, now let me quickly let's go back to your <clears throat> to your stuff now. Sure. Uh, and this has been fascinating for people listening to it because it's sort of spooky, but it's cool. Uh, but it's real. It's not. It just is real. Like it's, it's very real. real. So Haven, you're going to do um, a, a launch. What happens in your launch? What's an ICO? Tell so me. the way that it works is we we have 100 million tokens, and we have uh, taken 60 million of those tokens, and we sell them to the public. And the way the you know the intent behind this uh, is to get a wide distribution, so that there's as many people who have got the tokens in their hands, who understand about the system, who are incentivized to participate in the network. And what do they pay for those? They they basically will pay uh, in Ethereum or Bitcoin. Um, they'll place a bid for how much that they want to purchase um, in the in the sale, and all of those purchases. So you, you build a book up. Uh, yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah, so you all those purchases go in, and you don't then, say they're a dollar each. You no, just say, so uh, people get a distribution of tokens yeah. based on how much they put in. Yeah, um, and we've got a cap uh, on the sale, which is thirty million dollars. So you know, at thirty million US dollars, that's when there'll be no more purchases available and everyone will get their distribution of tokens at that point. Right, and, and what do ICO stand for? It stands for Initial Coin Offering, right? Uh, which is like an IPO. That was right. the intention in, yep. you know, back in 2016, the old days, uh, to make it a bit more relatable for people. Um, it's a bit different, obviously, but you know, it, there's some similarities to a public company because you're yep. selling to the public and and you know then people, people would respect us out uh you don't no. uh so typically people put uh various marketing documents in terms and conditions and a white paper which describes the system uh but it is an unregulated industry at the moment so you know it's it's basically up to self-regulation cool right i love now. unregulated industries um there's not enough of them um and <laughs> and 
you, to quickly your background. You know, how did you get into this? Uh, I've been thinking about payments for a long time. I, I started at a payment startup in Seattle uh, in the early 2000s, just before the, the dot-com crash. Uh, and that company, unfortunately, missed out on some funding. And, and subsequently, you know, it's been something that I've been interested in from uh, being in retail and various other things. So about four years ago, uh, I started a company uh, called BlueShift, which is an over-the-counter payment network, yep. effectively. An OTC? And we, and, yeah, it's, it's kind of similar, right? Um, but we, we work with uh, exchanges and cryptocurrency exchanges to enable people to walk in and, and purchase cryptocurrency. So, you know, we did our first transactions in, in early 2016. Uh, you know, the volume grew, uh, you know, as people got more excited about Bitcoin and we kind of came out of the, the crypto winter, if you will. Um, and, you know, the, the excitement built up and, uh, and I saw an opportunity to look at, you know, what, problems needed to be solved in cryptocurrency other than uh, on-ramps and off-ramps which BlueShift solves and that's a big problem uh, but volatility you know is is probably one of the the largest problems there, there's two major issues scalability at the moment the blockchains that we have can't scale out to support millions of users they they're you know very constrained in how quickly they can uh, transact uh, but the other issue is volatility and so as those two problems are solved i think the use cases where blockchain will be applicable and cryptocurrency will be applicable will just grow incredibly fast uh, so it's a, it's a very interesting time to be involved do you in think this, this stuff's all going to survive cryptocurrencies uh, not all cryptocurrencies will survive but blockchain and cryptocurrency is definitely here to stay right okay one question what do you want to sure. ask me uh, so, but don't ask me about blockchain. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, actually, what I wanted to ask you was, uh, how do you deal with uh, difficult PR? Because you know we're we're effectively out in the public now, yeah. um, and you know you make decisions, and sometimes those decisions are not uh, really, you know, uh, well received. How do you how do you deal with that? What's your uh, educating journalists? Interesting. Yeah, okay. I mean, you, look, when they don't understand you, they'll go for you. Okay. It's easier for me to destruct than it is to construct. Yeah. So, and, uh, you know, I mean, I guess I'm a journalist at the moment, and journalists are basically, you know, and I'll tell you the truth, we come in here this morning, I mean, I've, I've got a million things to do today, I'll read my brief, and I'm looking for, a, how do I get through this quickly? I've got an hour and a half, hour, hour to do, talk to you, I mean, I'd, I want to do it properly, but how do I do it properly, quickly, efficiently, not, not dissimilar to the way cryptocurrencies work, and, um, and it's if I'm lazy, I'll just try to. I'm, it's easy for me to pull you apart hmm. because I can pull. I can easily pull someone apart, and most journalists can do it. I can easily pull someone apart in a what looks like to be a intelligent way. Then I can. It's easy for me to do. Then it is to construct. Understood. To be constructive. Understood. Now, if I don't, if I don't know anything about the topic, I'll I'll destruct. If I do know something about the topic, which I do, I'll try and construct with you. So you've got to get a collaboration with the media. Yeah, you've got to be. You've got to get fine journalists who are collaborative, who you who want to learn from what you know. Now there's and usually they're the younger journalists. To be frank with you, interesting. Interesting about journalism is most of them are young. Um, it's the older, crusty ones who will always try and pull you apart. And what you want, but you're never going to stop that. Yep. You can go to them. You've got to talk to every one of them. Yep. You've got to keep educating. You've got to get the Fin Review or wherever it is. You've got to get a Trip Lamb, even talk to Matty Johns. But there are some very intelligent journalists out there who actually like to um, be more be seen as being intelligent and being cool and modern. So there's there's a demand. There's a, uh, a demand. There's an openness for. There's an opening for you to actually find these people and actually make them your apostolate. Yeah. Right. 
You need yeah. people out there telling the story and you need to be accessible to them mm -hmm. so they can drag you in any time yep. because they bring you in as a, an expert and they can talk about something that everybody out there wants to know about and they can actually end up appearing to be the expert. So this education process, I mean, I did it with the Wizard Business. I had to educate everyone about interest rates, why lending was you know better with an organization like Wizard. It took me you know, took me a couple of years to do it. Yeah. And I found my, I had my group that I would always talk to and they were quite powerful than the media mm -hmm. and they would, let's call it spruik your proposition but not, not not a false proposition but yep. they spruik because they understood it yeah and now everyone in Australia understands lending and mortgages and all Australians sort of are con Australian consumers are very well educated around mortgages relative to the rest of the world relative mm. to the rest of the world we're the best educated country in the world when it comes to this stuff yeah right we're the most sophisticated mortgages in the world our products are more sophisticated than anywhere else in the world interesting and that's come about as a result of what happened in the 90s with me and Aussie and Rams etc all of us did the same thing mm. So you know, you need to build a sector. So cryptocurrencies, you need Haven and two or three others, not just be on your own. Yep. It's easier if you've got three or four, so you're building a sector. Yeah. And you need to show that there's momentum behind all this and it may be inevitable. Therefore, you better get on board because journalists want to get on board. They don't want to... If they think it's going to fall off the edge, they don't really care about it. If they think it's going to run hard... Then they say, "Shit, I've got to. I've got to be. I want to be relevant as a journalist, and my my publication needs to be relevant. So I have to be on this. Mm. Who's going to tell me about it? Right now, no one is out there educating the journalists. Yeah, nobody. No one's talking to the journalists. That's really helpful. Yeah, that's incredibly helpful. And uh, if you can get them educated, they'll run with it. If they think it's relevant, yep. you've got to convince them that this has a life. Understood. And it's here to stay. And you need to spend time with them. You need to, like, like you just spend an hour with me, you need to spend an hour with each of these guys and you need to do it every month. Perfect. Excellent. Very nice to That's talk to you, That's very helpful. Thank Thanks you very much. much. Thanks for having me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.